0: Welcome everyone to the PLG Confession Show. I'll be your host today. My name is Sam Livan. Uh, The accent is from France and I'm also the co-founder and CEO of Madkudu. We help B2B marketers use data and science to monetize their product-led growth motion and all the other motions without engineers. So we're working with uh, awesome companies like Figma, Dreamio, Miro, RingCentral, Splunk, just to give some examples. But today we're not here to talk about Madkudu, I'm super excited to uh, be introducing uh, my friend and uh, PLG Leader, Ops Leader and CEO, Andy Mowat. Before I introduce Andy, I'll just share that this uh, time is really a time for us in the PLG uh, profession to share authentic stories about the hot takes and the hot topics of PLG. No slide, no product pitch, no pretending that we have figured everything out. So it's like the real, like the be real of uh, the PLG world. And uh, we're hoping that those interviews help you uh, not make the mistake that have already been done and get some ideas on things that you can do today to uh, make your PLG motion better and your career as well. So excited to introduce Andy. Andy's a friend, but he also has a unique background. So I'll share maybe a few words about you, Andy. Uh, he, you are—you uh, have an amazing, I think, track record of building the sales and marketing engines at uh, world-beating companies. So we're talking about Upwork, where you were like VP Business Operations, uh, Box, uh, so PLG, OG, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, in CS operation, Marketing Operations, and then CultureAmp, where uh, you started with uh, VP GTM Operations before you moved to uh, Growth Marketing as well which I think is is a a hot topic on the growth side today. And today you are the CEO and founder of Gated, a very fast growing, very cool SaaS company, um, helping, I would say, busy professionals um, get more clarity in their inbox, uh, remove the noise and not only in their inbox, but also in their lives.
1: Oh, uh, it's great. It's it's fun to be here. I've listened to so many of your podcasts. I as you said, I've I've done mops for like 15 20 years before it was even probably called mops and I've I've had the privilege of running marketing operations at three unicorns. I uh, have learned a lot uh, data stack issues and I I remember how we met. I sought you out because I needed a better scoring model that wasn't black box and uh, you you rocked my world on that side. So, it's fun to be here.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I remember that meeting very well. And maybe one question I never asked you before, um, to the people in PLG and in operations, like the, the child that you were, like did not have a dream, I guess, to go and go to market, build revenue engines. What led you on that path?
1: Yeah, um, I'll give you the fun path. I, I was I was in the Bay Area, but I wasn't in tech. And I had this realization about 20 years ago I needed to be. And I read Tim Ferriss' book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek. And in it, it talked about outsourcing virtual assistants. And I was like, my God, I need to go work for one of those companies. So I went out and met the CEO of Odesk, uh, Gary and the CEO of Elance, Fabio, um, got to be friends with both of them and ended up Fabio hired me to run business development. Um, he quickly threw lots of different things at me, like run my early sales team, Um Help me figure out our CRM. We need to send lots of emails, um, and so I just started. I found that I just really enjoyed like the systems, the data, the strategy, the big numbers. They go to turn different dials. So that's how I kind of found myself in Ops. You're right. I don't think many people grow up saying I want to be there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all have a story there. And uh, let's hear a little bit more about Gated. I think everybody knows Box as a company, Upwork. Culture amp that's an employee experience platform. What about Gated?
1: Yes. Uh, so Gated basically started with the vision and I'll tell a story because it's, it's kind of how you and I met. I was i was working on it and you were one of the first people I told the idea to, but I was getting overloaded by email um, and I've sent billions of emails. So I understood how it all works. So I wrote an email and said, I don't know you. Here's my Venmo link. I really like Wounded Warrior Project. If you donate 10 cents, I guarantee I'll reach your email. And I sent it to anyone that annoyed me. people started donating a lot of money. And so I ended up spending two years just building it, hacking it, refining it on the side. And and you were one of the first people that helped me in that journey. Um, Gated basically takes email from, it starts with the assumption that if you don't know somebody, maybe they shouldn't be in default into your inbox. It takes them out. It sends them a nice challenge email, which is now fully automated and asks them for a donation. If they donate, they make it into a very clean inbox and the reply rates are astronomical. So we help both sides, users and senders, by killing the noise. Um, marketing ops is obviously is where I come from. <laughs> and those people, marketers, marketing, rev ops are pummeled by emails. All the vendors try to sell them. So they've definitely been some of the core early use cases for us.
0: Yeah, I think we'll talk more about gated, I think, especially given the PLG motion of gated. Yeah. And something I think our listeners might want to hear is uh, you also like advisor to a lot of uh, very cool tech companies. So many of them with PLG motions. Uh, that includes Gong, Front, uh, Scratch pads, and those so I think when we have those conversations about PLG, I think you, you bring those stories about your personal experience, but also the experiences you've seen uh, at those companies. So let's get started on on the, uh, the PLG topics and to make it a bit fun today, uh, I took some hot takes. So it's more like about the sake of arguments feel free to uh, challenge me and I'll respectfully challenge you as well. Right. Uh, and let's go down a few of those uh, in the time we have. Sounds good? Great. I love it. All right. Number one, let's go. PLG, uh, obviously a lot of buzz around it. Investors love the economics uh, and a lot of companies are either like trying to expand or start one. But I would argue that PLG is one of the most difficult motion to operate, much more complicated than inbound, ABM, or anything else. Yes. Correct, not correct. I
1: would agree. I think if you don't have DNA of PLG at the beginning, it's really hard. So at Culture Amp, you know, when I left, we were 75 million ARR, much, much bigger now. Um, we talked a lot. We were, our ACV was 14, 15,000. We'd sell up to a couple hundred thousand dollar deals and sold a million. And then we'd sell down to 2000. We never had a PLG motion the entire time I was there. And we talked about it every quarter of we need this. But the product culture, the CS culture, the sales culture, and it's not just the culture. Obviously, at a company like Culture Amp, we were pretty good with culture, but it's like, how do you just think about how to do things? I'll give you a great example. Like, So it, at um, at Gated, we hired a head of CS. Uh, the guy is terrific. Um, but after a month or two, we started talking and said, listen, your job is not to work tickets. Your job is to productize the CS experience. And that's a very different mindset than in a B2B SaaS company. So I would argue that it's really hard to bolt it on later. Um, but if you're lucky enough to be in a company that has that PLG DNA from the beginning, you've and you have product market fit and love, it's a fun ride and it's a very different ride than B2B SaaS.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we we agree. Quite a lot. I'll add some nuance as well, or I'd love to, to get your thoughts on when you're not PLG, you want to start a motion. It's interesting. You, you talk about culture. I've heard that thing a lot. It's not even like difficulties of it. It's even like the mindset of the people within the organization. And that uh, takes a lot of work to change. But even for companies that started with a PLG motion, and often when we say that, I think we're thinking about freemium, we're talking about free trial, kind of self-serve motion mostly, right? But PLG is more than self-serve. Yes. PLG is also like, you know, sales, sales assets about bottom up, plan and expand. So all that comes with more of a enterprise motions. And that's one of the motion I think that requires the most alignment. I mean, inbound marketing, you know, Marketing, do your stuff, bring us some some hand raisers and MQLs, and we'll take it from there. Product led growth requires an alignment not only between sales and marketing, but also product team, data team uh, that needs to work together. I'd love to hear, I think, your a little bit of a few stories from your experience Um, and even like starting back in the day, Box, for example, or as you went uh, with different companies.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're just talking about what's the culture? I think we need to build a successful PLG. Um,
0: right. And alignment. I think specifically from a marketing perspective, how do you create that? It's already like hard the sales and marketing alignment. Twenty years of of I think conversation on that topic, right? And PLG introduces now at least two new players that you also have to align with.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think our CTO Alan has really driven the culture there, which is there shouldn't be a marketing-driven initiative that doesn't touch product, right? So some good examples are, we actually tried to, once people were loving gated, send them, hey, embed this in your signature. And Alan's kind of was, it probably won't, won't work until you've really got product as part of that. And so we've definitely, you know, there's the, how can we hack something together fast, but if it's not part of the product and the product's not involved in every single piece of it. Like if your go-to-market motion is product-led for, product-led growth and product first, product needs to be involved in every single decision at the beginning. And I think a lot of people's tendencies, including mine, um, is let's hack it fast and let's see if we can do something. Um, so I think that's a really big culture shift. You know, it's like our head of CS effectively sits like three quarter time in the product team. Um, you know, yes, he reports up to me, but like his day to day is much more around affecting the product than it is working tickets. Um, so I th- I'd say that's big. Um, the other big one that I'm sure we'll touch on is just data flows, right? Like it's the GTM systems probably shouldn't be core dictating everything else. and that may be another reason why I think a lot of SaAS companies have trouble bolting on GTM because they're just their datas are living in two separate silos and having those two talk together. And so when I came from so at box, I was able to, you know, we had Gainsight and we were able to get product data, but it was obviously a much bigger company and it took time. When I showed up at CultureAmp, I was like, well, okay, tell me how you're doing CS. How are you scoring accounts? How are you understanding them? How do you figure out which ones have products? And they're like, we just can't get the product data. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like this is a... We'll attack it, we'll architect it, we'll figure it out, we'll figure out how to wire it in, but we were still wiring it into a CRM and it was less flexible and there were limitations on how we could use that data. So I think that's a big problem if you don't have that wired right in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we were saying like there is interface with with product. We are saying marketing needs to have a seat at the table with product It needs to be a coordinated effort. And one of the challenges, you know, even time scale where marketing needs to ship things like yesterday, and products, anything is going to take three months to get something out of the box, and similar with data teams. Now you have like the data infrastructure is different for product-led growth than than you know traditional uh, B2B uh, B2B motions. On on the topic of uh, let's let's talk a bit of tech stack, but let's go back then to to playbooks on the tech stack. Um, all right, hot take. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the hot take would be companies should not strive to have a fully uh, centralized source of truth and embrace a decentralized source of truth. What's if your by, if,
1: if by decentralized source of truth, you mean it's not, I guess my belief I would say is this, that, and I think you and I talked a lot about this recently is I think the go to market, like the source of truth should be in the data warehouse rather than in a bunch of separate different systems. Um, and so I, I guess I believe it should be centralized. You should have one definition for every metric. Um, ideally you have your data model and that data model then pushes out to everything. I think if you look at today's world, pre PLG or go to market, you have a lot of systems that are syncing together versus having a true centralized source of truth. So I don't know if I challenged or agreed with your hot take, but I, I feel strongly that no matter what type of company you're in, PLG or SaaS, um, you it will be more important to have a single source of truth data warehouse that you leverage everything off of. I mean, look at Cold Tramp. We didn't even have PLG, but we needed
0: yeah, what they
1: brought for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I think on that one, I would say one percent. I think a line on every company should have a data warehouse and go to market, the go-to-market team, marketing, sales, CS, everybody should be able to access and leverage that power. I mean, there's so much data nowadays, and it clearly doesn't fit into a Salesforce or HubSpot. So they need to be somewhere else where the data is stored. I think where I'm still like questioning kind of the common belief of the data warehouse being their source of truth, where everybody, you know, you have this nice diagram where you put every data into the data warehouse, do a little bit of computation on top of that, and publish it back everywhere else. Um, I think in practice, it creates a lot of bottlenecks on that data warehouse. Mm-hmm. The data teams to basically like get everything fixed up and too often you see the business users, so like sales, marketing, being stuck because the data is not ready because there is always like a lot of work on the data side versus having part of it, part of the truth in the data warehouse, but where it's not needed across teams, you can still keep a little piece, pieces of, of source of truth in other systems as long as it is uh, relevant only to those, to those teams. So I think that's Going back and forth, I think, between like centralized versus decentralized. Decentralized Mm. completely makes no sense for sure. Uh, But the fully centralized, I think, is a dream that I've seen very few companies succeed at.
1: I I think you make a good point. I mean... The vision that is outlined in the two in the diagram that everyone explains the modern data stack is really exciting. Yeah. That is going to take you 18 months with three data engineers to accomplish. Hopefully, new tools will speed that process up. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we were probably a 16 month maturity cycle to really get a data warehouse that was effective, but we still had like direct wiring. So I think you're you're very right on that, Regard.
0: All right, I'll take that one. Um, let's talk about playbooks uh, because mm-hmm. there is a data side, and we'll get back to I think some of the interesting debate on PQL, PQAs, and those kind of things. But let's start first with with revenue and some mm-hmm. of the plays. Um, PLG, I think it's 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 one of the challenging motion because it can be playbook for growth team and product team on the sales serve can be like playbook on the bottom up what kind of emails to send like for uh, among the free users finding those enterprise deals, what are the plays that you've worked with that you found very powerful? Uh, plays that you would recommend for anyone to start with if they're not doing it yet?
1: Mm. So you're talking really tactical, like what plays do we use? Yeah I'm going to talk specifically at gated. I think we have a lot of unique like moments of customer touch points. And so I, I'm a big believer in there's maybe no generic play that works for everyone, but I can talk about a couple of ours, right? So, every time you get a donation to reach your inbox, that is a powerful moment. Um, And so we want to both capture that moment with the user, but we also have a automated play, which will ping the sender and say, hey, terrific to see your donation via gated and just sit back and listen, right? So I think a lot of it for us is at those moments of happiness and joy, how do you make it easy for them to talk to you? And from there, you can then start to channel the conversation in different ways. So that that's definitely a play that's worked very well for us on both sides of our marketplace. I'd say um, a lot of the upsell plays we aren't yet running. We're really focused on that B2C first and then we'll layer on the B2B on top of that. But uh, there I just this is kind of what I geek out on which is how do you find something and then just keep working on the growth loops uh, and how do you how do you like keep building out more and more growth loops. And so the big thing is Once you've built a growth loop that works, figure out how you make it better and better and better versus like just moving on to the next one, because once you've got something that's working, you can tweak it. So a good example there is we figured out how to get people. We've got, I think, got 140 testimonials in four months with Gated. Um, So we figured out how to make it really easy into the process. And then we figured out like little fun asks to continue to move them down that customer advocacy journey as well, too. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I'm a big fan of like finding growth loops and then building plays off of them. I think That's right. yeah. the broader question of playbooks is tough. I think there are you know, very few people have really operationalized plays playbooks well across teams bigger than like four or five people. Um, and I think that is a opportunity for sure. And one thing I remember I liked on Mad kudu was like your widget did a good job of it, trying to explain why we handed you this lead and to some degree, like what actually you should take You'll on take, that. Yeah. But I, I do think they're yeah, happy to go deeper on that, but I definitely have some theories on playbooks. I've always kind of said like, the tool that makes it the easiest and that people are using is the one that wins. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Versus yeah. like don't over-engineer.
0: Yeah. Keep it simple. Find those moments, I think in the customer journey where you have the opportunity to, to, to engage the conversation and mm-hmm. I have to say that the play that you have around the testimonials uh extremely powerful at Gated. Uh, so I think you know, Gated is asking at the right time, you know, um, like a reference on G2 and it's doing it at the time, as you mentioned, like when you get to the donations, kind of a peak of engagement. And it's been amazing to see how I think Gated, which is still a small company, getting a lot more review than product that are way more established with a very simple, like play like this and a very small team. So that's uh, amazing. I I would say
1: one interesting thing we we discovered is, um, don't start the customer advocacy journey with G2. so G2 can take 15 to 30 minutes to review. It's like every time you think you're done, there's another step. And like, I've given up on five or six G2s. I'm like, just when are you going to stop asking me for more things? Right. So for us, we made the first entry into that advocacy as simple as possible, which is like a fun three to four minute type form. And so then one of the many asks is G2, but also cross mm. radius and everything else like that. So I think a lot of people are like, yes, G2, G2, G2. But for us, it's like, getting into our database as somebody that loves to be an advocate and you've taken that first motion is more important
0: than a G2 review for us. Love that. Love that. Um, let's talk about PQL. You mentioned scoring a few times yeah. and uh, interestingly yeah. enough, I think very few companies actually have implemented uh, a PQL or PQA definition and then the tracking for that. Like I think one of the last survey I was looking at, you know, more than fifty percent of companies that have a PLG motion don't have a PQL, so it's almost surprising to me. I have to say it's a hot take, but I would say like any company doing PLG, even if you're starting a PLG, should sit down, define what a first like definition of a PL PQL is or PQA, so product qualified account, uh, and can always refine on it. But it's a must have for any PLG motion. Agree? Disagree. agree
1: yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. I think. It- you always if, if you don't have a if you don't have a start, you don't have anything you can improve or iterate on, and you can't be testing assumptions. So the sooner you have that first scoring, even if it's rough. Like for us right now, it's effectively do they clear bit? <laughs> you know, like yeah, if, yeah. If they clear bit, they're probably Good a enough. Business, yeah. business persona and we want to spend more time on them than like a personal email.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you like the the, the argument that I'm hearing and I, I, I would disagree with is I think PQLs or PQA can be misused. And I think that's where people throw the entire thing away because I feel like you know they they, they have a bike not knowing how to ride a bike and they say oh bikes are useless, I'm gonna walk. So it is true. I think if you can't use the bike, you know, walking is probably better than getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean bikes are not useful. I would say it's more about the, the skill skill there and, and some of the typical like pitfalls I see with, with our customers, with ourselves on that side is Marketing or product defining you know some PQL definition and not doing the enablement, the communication, the core yes. building of that of that thing, right? Similar with MQLs, always been this thing where marketing like defines some MQL somewhere, sale doesn't buy into that, and then you know you um the, the MQL concept is rejected versus it's because it's done wrong. Yeah.
1: Well, I think what you guys, and again, I don't I'm not in the business of just selling Cuda, but I love some <laughs> of the things you guys did, which was when you get a PQL, you ideally want a intelligent system to refine that, right? So I think what you guys did was then regress: how did that PQL perform through the funnel, and if that one, and then what were the traits of that PQL? And then if, if say, so say for example, personal emails are continuing to just get stuck and churn out, um, or get win lost um, out like maybe don't send as many of those over. And I think I think that's where you guys have done a really good job of like, it's the learning module of that, which is really hard. And then the other thing is like, don't make it a black box. And I think yeah. you guys did a good job of balancing. And that's part of the reason I picked up the phone to call you in the first place was HubSpot's lead scoring model was black box. A 72. What does that mean to my sales team? Why is it a 72? What is the top thing? And so I think if you have an intelligent model that can learn that doesn't need input from teams. uh, And then it's not black box. It's
0: just a better place to be. 100% feedback loop. It's not a static definition forever. And yeah, the transparency and explainability very, very much there. One other thing I think that comes um, out, I think, in this conversation is uh, who cares about PQLs? more about moments. It's about like what emails or what outreach we send. And I think it's kind of opposing pQLs which is okay just like prioritization versus um, you know what actions do you take and I agree I think those for me are it's not one against the other. those are two different topics. One is really around proxy to revenue. So PQLs we need to understand like are we getting closer to revenue or not and aligning the organizations against that clear metric that people agree with so it's a proxy so that could be forgated like anyone with a clear bit match you know is for now I think it's a proxy to revenue but that does not solve the problem of what actions do you take? What do you tell someone when you engage yes. them? Right. And that actionability I think is, is, is a different topic.
1: Yeah. I think that one is, I think it's a really hard one too. And then I, um, I mean, I've always had this view of you want to be feeding people lots of signals, but if people don't act on it, people are like, yeah, that signal's not worth anything. I remember when we, when we turned Gainsight on at Box and we, and they, they were very helpful. We overloaded people with calls to action and, and then we had to, we learned we had to dial them all back. And I think ideally the system can be smart enough to be like, well, the person is just stopped, stopped or started ignoring that call to action. Let's not send it anymore. So the ideal is the system is smart enough, which is feedback loops as we talked about. And so I guess there's that. And then yeah, playbooks and operationalizing what you do.
0: We do yeah. like,
1: I know you guys are too. That, that's a hard one to get right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's continue hot topics. And that's well, I've got, what I've is- got
1: one for you if you want.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, Please. So, yeah, I mean, let's play. I think a lot of it is like, I'd
1: be curious what you see in terms of like there's PQLs. So getting into the funnel, right. But not all those people are ready to buy right now. And so what have you seen for like best practices in terms of how do you engage people that are not ready to get in the funnel? Um, so yes, you operationalize it. you ping these people and they're like, yeah, not now. And so I've definitely got my theories on that, but I'd love to hear what you've seen working well in terms of engaging
0: people that aren't ready to go down that road yet. Yeah, on that one's pretty strong opinion, I think on on many, I think go to market organizations not having the clear distinction between fit and engagement. Hmm. And I think especially in the PLG world, we talk a lot about engagement, about moments, about when is someone ready to buy and not enough about fit, which mm-hmm. is who is a good fit for even like buying an enterprise plan. So when they sign up, do they, is this a sign up that has the potential to buy enterprise or, or, or more, more of a sales assist or sales serve? And that distinction is critical. I think you, uh, I often like mention like how critical it is to separate those funnels. So when we look at activation, for example, like many product teams look at activation just on, okay, here's my signups, let's see what's the activation rate at day one and day seven. But it's absolutely necessary to break it down by, by fit uh, because you know maybe a lot of the people you have do not activate because they have the wrong fit. It's not an activation problem, it's a fit problem. Uh, but that links back to I think the, the point about what do we do when they're not ready to to buy now, When right? And I think that's where the, the fit matters because the PQLs or PQA means they have the right fit and they have reached that threshold of engagement that they are ready for either a sales of conversion or to be passed down to sales. That's what the PQL and PQA that's the lagging indicator, and that's a great indicator on, on closer to revenue. Now, when you have the right fit but not the right engagement, that becomes nurturing and that's something that product and marketing can really help on and can be measured on how many of the good fit can you get to that nurture level? and i think we go back in the play on the pre uh, you know the pre-sales play
1: i like that the other thing i've seen that works really well is the community approach too which is uh, mm. like gamesight ran really well we did a really good job at culture amp as well which is okay so you're not ready to buy right now like we have meetups geekups global events we have content we have a job board to help you find your next job, um, like and a lot of that stuff, uh, like Slack groups and and things. We found to be in, insanely valuable to be able to like engage the people. And you know, I think was it either Anthony, Kanata, or Nick at Painsight, their quote was, "We want to be in every deal. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we don't know when that deal is going to happen, but when they start to think about something, we want to be there."
0: Yeah, I love that, and I think the. The, the How long you can have that relationship with customer pre pre sales or pre revenue or or large revenue I think is much longer and better with PLG. I mean outbound is the worst. It's kind of a you know you, you, you speed dating. If it doesn't work out, you never. There is no reason to hang out. Inbound you have more of a reason to hang out. PLG now you have community where you can still get value from the product and build and nurture that relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we probably won't go down this road too much, but like. Pricing is such a key component to PLG. I was talking; we, we obviously don't have pricing. It's free to use, gated for users. We make money from the sender side, um, but or, or actually from taking a percentage of donation. But I do see a lot of companies where they miss on their pricing model, and they can never backtrack it back.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, uh, the clock is ticking, so I'll try to uh, to move maybe to a f- one or two. But I can see. Maybe pricing and sales, uh, sales team wise, because often I think you have this kind of uh, situation, and that has been said before product is often excited about product growth uh, for obvious reasons. Marketing is pretty neutral, it's one more funnel to run that, that can be you know, something they have some impact on, and sales for them, they often see all those signups, but they don't see the money. And if it doesn't work out right away, they kind of go back to why don't we just do like ABM or traditional, like outbound, they have more control on their destiny. And it's a cultural thing as well. From a um, and, and why I'm bringing that up as well is there is often cannibalization in the pricing. Like if you have a plan at, you know, $50 a month and you are trying to sell a 50K, 100K deals, you have this kind of anchor that's that's hard sometimes for sales rep to to understand and work with what's your experience there pricing wise and the relationship with sales
1: yeah i didn't i won't claim to have gotten too deep into pricing i always had pricing experts but i you know the story at box is we brought in a guy who was a pricing expert he'd worked for a firm called simon kuchar which is the uh you know the top place and he you know he was just he ripped through strategically our pricing right so i remember like He's like, well, these 10 customers are literally like using 5% of your bandwidth. And there was like a guy in Mexico that was like hosting the entire world's videos on one, one seat of box and things like that. So he was able to get, like you're able to capture really interesting value. I think on the flip side for like PLG, you know, if you missed, if you cut that thing wrong, like Loom. Yeah,
0: like, yeah. At
1: fifty, And then it was just, they were just not monetizing anybody. And so there's this balance of how much do you have a product that people just love? versus how much, where do you capture that line? But once you cut it, it's really hard to change it.
0: I hear that. Yeah, I can see uh, the challenge there. And that's also a cross-functional conversation. going back to, it's not just marketing, deciding on pricing or sales. I mean, it impacts everybody's metrics. And this this is, yeah, so it's so critical. Yeah. Um, Talking of like multiple funnel and motion and sales team, Hot take: Not a single PLG company will do PLG only. Mm. Like they will run every single motion out there. So inbound, ABM, probably like partner, and obviously PLG. Um, so that's and there is a lot of kool aid I think right now about PLG being the all and all for, for everything, right? The solution, the cure for, for all. What's your experience here? And I think if if we go there, how do we integrate multiple funnels uh, when you're in operations or when you're in marketing?
1: I think you have to be running a comprehensive go-to-market effort. Um, You know, even uh, one of the top people at OpenView Partners said, uh, you know, PLG and and virality at its core is just customers talking about you, right? So that may not be in the product, but you may have love, but then how do you catalyze that? How do you do social? How do you have the brand side? How do you have the content? Um, All of the different pieces that support it. So I think I look at it as there's one funnel and one set of leads versus an MQL or a PQL. Uh, but that's probably because you're, you're, you're going to end up having mostly one. And then it's hard. Like if you're in a PLG culture, they're going to be product leads. They may just be coming from lots of different places. But in the end, I think they're all there. Or if you're in more of a B2B SaaS, they're going to be MQLs. Maybe some will be from the product. And so I guess I try to not have different types of leads. Now that being said, I do think leads can have different intents, right? So at Box... Oh, I'm sorry, CultureAmp. We I, I forget the number. But it was something like 10 or 15,000. Yes, yes huge uh-huh. numbers. And so, but very quickly, like in the first couple of months, I broke them down into people that are asking for demos. And we're going to treat those people as... We're going to get those people through to a salesperson as fast as humanly possible um, because they've already asked. And so they don't have anything else. They don't need to be nurtured. They don't need to be anything. And then there are the people that have scored over. And so I do think... I don't think there's like, there's the marketing leads and the product leads, um, but I do think once they're in and everyone's working towards driving leads, you can then cut them and triage them and handle them different ways intelligently.
0: That's, that's yeah, I, I don't know why we, we never talked that think about about that before, but I, uh, that's something I think a lot of companies are struggling with, maybe on the semantic, because you have do you have like a funnel for MQLs, another one for PQLs? Now you also have PQA and MQA when you look at the account levels. So We're starting having a lot of funnels, a lot of reportings. Sales is, is very confusing about you know all those definitions yes. and terms, right? Yes. yes. Um and it's for yeah, one of the thing, I think a trend that, that we've seen with our customers and even a Matt could do is we have right now we still call them MQLs, but you have an MQL type. And MQL type, right, can be a product sign up or PQL is a is a is a type of MQL. Or it could be a content MQL or it could be a handraiser MQL. So it's it's more related about what actions you take on that lead or account more than than uh, you know. Are there are different types of um, different, yeah MQL, PQL, and the rest? But I love the intent. Not even like MQL type to be more of a it's a qualifi- it's a qualified lead with a given intent.
1: Yes, I think that makes sense. Um, I mean, if you visit the pricing page, we may want to treat those different. I mean, a we may want to score them differently, but b they clearly have a different intent as well too.
0: Intent and the action you take on them. Yeah, should it should be called like XQL. Like how do you call something that's because it's not really a marketing qualified lead anymore, right, it's gonna be um, a, we, yeah.
1: We, we call them effectively, like they were lead qualified leads. They qualified themselves by saying, we call them hand raisers or um, we call them time critical leads. So there were some that you could nurture and it would be okay if you got back to them in like four hours or 40 hours. Uh, and there were other ones that if you got back to them in 40 hours, they were already talking to your competition.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We call them qualified leads. QL. Not uh, nothing before that. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: right.
0: yeah. Cool, Andy. Uh, we we're trying to keep it short. But if you uh, maybe last word of, of wisdom, uh, before we uh we close, yeah, let's go with the uh you know the the classic question about young Andy. If uh two days, Andy could give that young Andy a, a piece of advice to accelerate in their career and, and avoid a few mistakes, what would that be?
1: Don't be afraid to go ask for what you want. Um, it's fun um, because actually we're, we're working with your son right now. Is working in Gator this summer, which has been awesome. And I, I mean, the, the guy's 18 and he's, he's so sharp. And, and I think that was one of the lessons he took out of it. Hopefully I'm not like talking too much about this, but it's like you know, if you can help people, understand, because at 25 or 30, I would wait outside my boss's office, hope they would pay attention to me versus just like walking in there and being like, this is the problem, this is what I need. And so it's like, you know, if they're young folks earlier in career, they're being direct, knowing how to manage up. I've got a really good article on my LinkedIn around like that was a huge career unlock for me as well, too. So I think those are key skills that hopefully somebody teaches
0: you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, Andy. Uh, anything else you want to share?
1: No, this is great. I'm I'm honored to have been on it. I've been listening for so long, but uh, it's fun.
0: Yeah, super fun as well. I think a lot of topics we haven't talked about before. And for everyone listening, we'll be sharing also some links uh, on some of the topics we've talked about. And Andy has a fantastic, I think, LinkedIn um, post. So make sure to follow him. I think you'll, you'll learn something for sure.
1: That's awesome. I guess the last thing I would leave you with is if you want to reach me. Just email me, Andy at gated.com. <laughs> I'm I'm fully comfortable putting my email out there because if you don't know me, you might have to make a donation to reach me.
0: That's awesome. Sounds good, Andy. Have a great one. Thanks, Sam. Bye, everyone.